So hi, everyone. Welcome to the SAP HCM Insights podcast. I'm Steve Bogner, your moderator and managing partner at Insight Consulting Partners. Um, today, we have a special guest. We have Meg Baer, who's head of product at SAP SuccessFactors. So Meg, welcome to the podcast. We're glad to have you. Thanks for having me. I feel like I'm now finally part of the team to join this group. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, be careful what you ask for. Um, it's a it's a good team though. So uh, we have today with us we have Amy Grubb and Brandon Toombs, Jarrett Pazahanik, Luke Marson, Martin Gillette, and Becky Murray, and myself Steve Bogner. So um, let's get started. So Meg, again, thanks for for joining us. We wanted to to talk with you for a while now, and um, I think really the purpose of of this podcast we really want to talk about. Uh, what's in that H1 success factors release? Um, maybe t highlight some of the things that we want to make sure customers know about. We might have some questions on some things and we can discuss those as we move forward. Um, so I think that that's where we want to start. And um, on the, the H1 releases, um, it was a little bit different this year, uh, this time, Meg, right? Because you released it in preview on the expect, expected timing, but then giving customers another, what, four or five weeks to um, move it into production, right? Exactly, yeah. So one of the things that happened as we were uh, rounding into the preview period, we all, as you know, started to have to think about sheltering in place. And so mm -hmm. a large number of our customers reached out to us and said, hey, what's gonna happen? How are you gonna manage the release? So we took a lot of customer feedback in to try to understand what's the right thing to do. Obviously, making any kind of a change is a disruption, and yet we really wanted to be responsive to customers having a, a real serious concern about their ability to cope with a large release. As you know, this is a very large release for us, uh -huh. and um, they, they just didn't feel comfortable that they had the ability to focus in the way that they normally do. Their plans were being disrupted. And so we we looked and said, what can we do? And so we decided the best thing we could do was to extend the preview window, giving more time mm -hmm. um, and helping customers have a longer period to absorb all of the functionality and to do their release planning with a little bit uh, extra grace period. So this is a new new territory for us as well. It has felt like we've been in preview a really, really long time, but on the other hand, I think um, it was the appropriate thing to do. So uh, we feel good about the ability to respond to our customers in this way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know a number of my customers appreciated that because um, you know, with the changes in the workforce and the changes in how we're doing things, um, there were a lot of compliance changes with COVID-19 that came out and it really threw HR departments into um, uh, whirlwind of activity. So, you know, having that extra space has been very appreciated from uh, the customers I have. Yeah, it's worth noting that it, it wasn't just a shift for us. Uh, again, there were some customers that had to move their go lives to mm -hmm. kind of help the greater good. And so we also really need to recognize that anytime you make a change, it is, it is uh, impacted for everybody. And we really were thoughtful about it because we knew that uh, that there's going to be some people that really appreciate it and there was going to be some people that had to 
change their own plans as a result. So we're really grateful for our customers banding together to help each other in this time frame as well. Yeah, it's a great community. Jared, I know that you have always you always have something on your mind. You're full of questions. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah so, so what what do you have? Well, I'd just like to say uh, to Meg and the team, like I'm a big fan of the new You Spoke, We Listened um, as part of the half-year rollout presentations. I think that's being well-received by customers. And I was just curious, um, maybe if you can explain to our listeners how and what metrics SAP is tracking internally to ensure you're hitting the mark on doing the things that customers want. Yeah, thanks for asking the question, Jared, because this is a really important thing to both me personally and to the team. So I, th I think everybody recognizes that this is a mature market we're now all in. We have a great wealth of product capability, both ourselves and, and our competitors, and that we're kind of taking things to a whole new level with our HXM vision. And so it's important for us to think about how can we be both responsive to our customers, but also looking out for the future on their behalf. How do we get that mix right? How do we get the tonality right? And how do we think about co-creation with customers as an opportunity? So um, this has been a big part of how we've been focusing even before I joined. Uh, Amy Wilson and the design team have, have invested heavily in really changing how we interact with customers. And so that's been across several dimensions, right? We're, we're looking at future things, research, co-creation, innovation uh, boards with customers. We're looking at incremental things, the, the influencer um, track understanding how we can make the right incremental changes and um, enhancements across the portfolio. And then just transparency, right? How do we think about sharing what we are doing and more importantly what we're not doing and I think that becomes even more important in times like now where we have uh, a lot of change happening for everyone in the economy with this uh, shelter in place and and the shift that we've had to to make with kind of overnight how businesses is impacted you know one's traveling uh tourism is effectively shut down and, and large swaths of industries are, are very significantly impacted. Um, so when we, when we think about measurement of, of customer voice, we really want to be holistic about it. We of course look at things like how we're serving our customers on the support level. That's been something we've been investing in for several years now, trying to speed up the velocity in which we resolve issues and, and make them uh, um, whole again. How we look at our operations, we're investing heavily in automation in our operations motion to make things more self-healing. And then the part of the question I think you're interested in, Jared, is how do we also think about uh, customer requests? I know there's been uh, a fair point that that we have struggled in being clear about where and how we are bringing customer enhancement requests into the platform. And so, again, we are measuring not just by sheer number, but also by um, impact, right? We're looking at how do we think about investment strategically 
so that we can have the biggest impact both for current customer uh, capabilities as well as new innovations. And so I think the, the main thing that we're, we're metricing across each of those elements and dimensions is first number and types of interactions. Are we looking at it holistically around the globe? Are we understanding what it means for different industries? Are we making sure that we get a well-rounded amount of feedback? And then are we are we meeting the mark with the things that we do? So outside of all the things that we could do, are the things that we are delivering, are they, are they moving the needle? Are they delighting our customers? Are they delivering the capability that we promised? And are we meeting up with our commitments? And so those are the places that we're focused on in 2020. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely not looking today to, uh, to metric every single um, interaction. What I'm trying to do is to find those pieces that have the highest return on investment and to double down on them because I think that's where we're going to be able to have the biggest collective impact. Mm -hmm. That's great. And, and Meg, just thinking about, um, you know, metrics and potentially moving that into feedback, potentially on, you know, post-release adoption rate and uh, rollout success. I'm wondering, actually, if you think that this extra time that has been allocated as a result of the current health change may actually be beneficial on an ongoing basis with the move to two releases per year that might actually warrant a longer release window. Will there be any type of, of follow-up on, on post-release um, you know, adoption or engagement? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. So um, a couple things that we're thinking about as it relates to that. So we had actually started with expanding the preview window in our November of last year with that release because we recognized that the customers felt like it was it was a little bit too rushed. I think we've done an extreme test this time of, uh, of expanding it to that full eight weeks. Um, and I think one of the things, so the, the advantage is time, of course. The disadvantage is that it's hard for customers to plan their own go-live windows because it's uh, um, not a great time to, to try to do uh, a go-live and a launch when you're in the middle of uh, straddling two different releases, one in production, one in preview. And so um, we feel like we need to strike that balance. The other thing is we're, we're working to normalize releases across all of SAP, and you can imagine that's, uh, that's a, a complex thing, but it, it's important for our customers who have multiple products to try to have some consistency in how updates happen and how maintenance windows happen, et cetera. And so uh, the short answer to your question is I think we're going to go back to the, to the uh, five-week plan that we, uh, we normally have, not to keep uh, this extended bit, but um, we are still looking to measure what the results were. This is a hard release to measure compares, as you can imagine. Um, it's just different than any other release with all our customers in a shelter-in-place scenario, extra weeks, not sure. We did a lot of new things. So it's, it's, it's a terrible way to do a controlled test <laughs> um, because your <laughs> compares are not at all similar. But uh, we are looking to learn, of course, with every release and see what are our quality measures, what are our, uh, 
Twitter uptake measures, et cetera. And, and generally, we're finding that customers are really excited about the capabilities that we've added in this release. Um, but yeah, overall, I think it's not a great compare because there's way more things going on in their business than just our product release. And so we're very mindful. Our goal is to support our customers, not to make it about us. Mm -hmm. yeah. Nothing like going to a new release schedule in the middle of a global pandemic, right? Yeah, it's pretty much almost all the things in the middle of a global pandemic, right? right. So. Exactly. Meg, this is Amy. I have a question um, really on behalf of customers who are listening. And this is for both customers who have um, been live on the product for quite a while and are used to kind of the enhancement um, you know, process, right? So enhancement request process but also for new customers, um, what would you advise them is that the best way to communicate to SAP um, what they'd like to see in the product and how can they, um, you know, kind of rally support for that? You know, typically, um, I've, I've been in this success factors world for a really long time now, and um, that's always kind of been, you know, through the customer community, through relationships with product managers, but as things evolve and, and change, what for somebody who has both, you know, been around for a long time and maybe used to the old way things have been done and also newer customers, what would you say is the best way that they can um, communicate back to you guys what they'd like to see in the product? Yeah, so as you can imagine, we have over 7,000 customers around the globe, right? So um, this isn't really gonna be a one-size-fits-all kind of an answer, but there are some themes, right? So customers that are interested in the innovation cycle, things that we're doing that are really forward-leaning, helping us on the research side, helping us on the uh, usability testing side, those are really great places to both put your fingerprint on the new product capabilities, but also help make sure that we are getting a broad enough swath of feedback so that we are really hitting the mark with, with a lot of strength. Customers that are um, maybe thinking more incrementally or are looking to just sort of understand best practices, well then of course the communities are the right place because there's a, just a wealth of strength and knowledge in there about uh, both things to do as well as um, probably lessons learned of things not to do is, is probably even, even more helpful. And then, you know, customers that are just wanting to be better connected, I think we're going to start to see even more opportunities where in the past our user conferences were, you know, places where people could come and meet up, but it had a really big commitment in time. Now we're doing a lot more things virtually by, um, you know, force of the, the pandemic. And I think that that gives an opportunity for more customers to interact, to interact with understanding the new things that are coming out, understanding the vision for the particular products that they're interested in, engaging more with product managers, and, um, and really just being part of the learning from each other. Again, we find customers learn probably more from each other than they learn from us as it mm -hmm. relates to being innovative with our product lines and right. certainly more from experts like yourselves. So um, I, think, I think that really connecting in on the places that make sense for your business is, is uh, going to be 
you know, unique to each customer and where they are in their journey. That's great. Thank you. And I think, you know, one of the strengths that SAP always brings is um, just its size and reach. And there really is a place for every size customer to be heard. So thank you for that. Yeah, there is. And, you know, I've, I've been doing this for ages and I'm always surprised. I, you know, at least every year I come across a customer who isn't aware of these opportunities and these places where they can network with other customers to learn about, you know, other practices. And, um, and like you said, Meg, knowing what not to do is just, that's very important also. Um, and, you know, I know that all these things get communicated um, and they get communicated widely, but uh, I think it's, you know, us as a consulting community also is reaching out to customers. Um, it's sort of like a handoff, right? So, you know, we work with you, with you to get you live and you're happy, you love us. And now, we're sort of like sending you off to college, right? And so here's your resources for when you go to the next phase, um, you know, where you can help yourself be more, you know, so sort of self-supportive, right? Of course, we'll stay in contact with you, but also look at these other places where you can network with other customers and you can continue to learn and grow. And I think that uh, the consulting community, I think doesn't always do that. I think we could be better with that. Um, that's just my observation. I don't know what you guys think, but I've just seen that too many times to uh, to not mention it. Yeah, I think the wealth of knowledge that you guys have is goes far beyond just initial implementation and and go live for sure. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I would encourage is that it's it's really not exclusively what's happening at SAP, right? We're investing heavily in our ecosystem. Um, both in making sure that we have an expansive number of partners available, but also so that thinking about how interoperability works both today and in the future. And we believe strongly that it is tied to our innovation cycle to, to really invest in making partner innovation available for our customers and um, for the broader community. And so I think there's there's really a tremendous amount of innovative things going on. And I think that uh, this is a great time to be part of a technology story. I think those of us who have been doing this for a long time know that it didn't used to be like this. It used to be a lot mm -hmm. harder to, to bring innovation in, to change processes, to really innovate. And I feel like that it's it's not easy, but it is way easier than it ever has been. And I see so much opportunity as we round into our future together that um, that things really have gotten significantly um, more scalable for our market, and that's pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah. The software is not a limiting factor in changes as much as it was in the past, but. Um, you know, as consultants, we could we could have a whole podcast on that. So maybe we should circle back around to that in another podcast. We could go a full half hour on that. But I know Brandon, you have you always have questions. You're yeah. full of questions. <laughs> so yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, Meg. Uh, first of all, nice to meet you uh, over the over the phone. Finally, I know we've uh, uh, swapped a lot on uh, on over social media, and, I, and uh, that's. Part of my uh, initial statement to you, which is, I really do appreciate um, the, the culture that you and, and others are are um, are providing, where you're emphasizing the idea of listening and responding, and uh, you can definitely see that. You can see that in this release. You can see that 
um, in, in how you uh, address issues as they arise. So I, I do want to give you a, a compliment on that uh, right off the outset. So um, the, the one question I had, and it's just in a little bit of a different direction, and I ask this one uh, a lot um, when, when I get the chance, and that is um, talk a little bit about the uh, process that you're going through in trying to consolidate everything um, from, you know, you've, you've had uh, success factors has had some acquisitions uh, in the past you know, and from from the various systems. So it's your, your legacy plateau, your legacy Qualtrics, um, well, and as well as just a, a lot of other uh, onboarding and things like that. And so getting those things all to work together, that's a that's a part of the challenge that we have as consultants. But of course, you as a as a as a solution provider, it's more. Uh, on your shoulders than, than even us. And so just talk about the transition or, or uh, how, how much are you emphasizing uh, allocating uh, resources in order to try to uh, get everything uh, very inter interoperable so that going forward, it's easier to add the new functionality and things like that. <coughs> yeah, thank you so much for asking that question, Brandon, because it, it is uh, for sure a big part of both how we look at things uh, as we invest towards the future, but also kind of how we think about prioritizing what we do. So you're 100% spot on that we recognize that there's a real pain point for our customers tied to really the evolution of how we brought our product category to, to market, right? We we acquired lots of things, we uh, built some things internally, and if we're if we're really honest, we invested a lot in forward-leaning capabilities and not as much on the platform side. Um, so that that has been a pain point for us. And so in the last couple years, we've been really focused on architecture, how we can lean on architecture to not only streamline and remove some pain, but also build. A foundation for us for a more rapid acceleration of innovation. Um, architecture can mean a lot of things to a lot of people, but from our perspective, we are looking at it as the way to build a force multiplier, both for our own developer productivity as well as for our innovation engine. And so one of the big places that we're investing in architecture is tied to our, um, our user experience investment, which we call UX Reimagined. And the reason that it's important for people to understand that for us, this is not just, um, just an aesthetic kind of investment, and it's not even just a usability investment. It's about extensibility and architecture. So we are investing in making it easier for um, interoperability with our platform, as well as for understanding that the user behaviors that are going to happen over time are going to change pretty rapidly. And so for us to be able to bring that kind of innovation forward, we need the right kind of infrastructure underneath us. So that's a big place that we're investing in both thinking about things more interoperably, thinking about th things with the, the user, the worker at the center of, of those experiences, and then leaning on architecture to make both adoption easier um, as well as ongoing innovation easier. So that's like a, 
an example of many where we aren't what we are talking about on the outbound side or, or the customer delivery side is one piece, but the significant investment we're making in security, in reliability, in uh, integration, in interoperability, those investments, when I say we're doing big things, that's where it's happening. And we're bringing those things forward to the benefit of capability, of features, et cetera. But we're actually leaning on that for our entire vision of HXM. And so this journey that we're on with customers to be better at simplifying uptake of innovation, of removing pain points of integration, of building out stronger um, uptime reliability and um, a, even a stronger security backbone, all of these things are really how we're looking at everything we do because we recognize that um, this this shift that's happening in our world, right? The sort of globalization, the idea that that markets are adapting rapidly, that there is a huge amount of change. That these are these are not one-time things that we do something about and then move on. These are shifts in how things work. Mm -hmm. And so when we think about future-proofing uh, a platform for our customers who are out there on the front lines of all of this change, we're taking it very seriously about how do we do that in a way to really make the investment with SAP one that they, they don't just think was a good idea, but that they see as we're we're in it to be a real partner for our customers to help them through what is going to be um, a very uh, complex decade. Right, but that's the reason people sign up, right? Is that continued innovation, like you're talking about? I mean, that's you know my phrase for it, but that's um, that's where you can really continue to provide value to customers in in continuously making the product better in ways that they can take advantage of. So I think that's exciting. Um, yeah, 100%, and when I said that it's easier now than it's ever been, I mean, cloud and software as a service have given us the tools mm -hmm. um, in a way that we never had before. And that really helps in being able to think like this on behalf of customers. So sure. yeah, it's a great time to be a, a product innovator for sure. Sure. And I just have to, to say for us as consultants, we need to make sure that when we implement this, we're not boxing customers in so that they you know, can't take advantage of these things as they come around. Um, again, it's, you know, it's better with success factors, but you, know, you can take the best software system in the world and do a poor implementation, and then the customer's sort of boxed into some bad decisions maybe, and uh, it's not as easy for them to adopt uh, you know, the new innovation. So I think that, um, you know, that's one of my pet peeves, and I, I bring it up in podcasts, is that as a consulting community, we have a responsibility to, to do right for our customers. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not always easy. In fact, a lot of times it's not easy. But um, I think that's our, that's our end of that, uh, of that bargain, too. So, Martin, I, I know that you had something you wanted to bring up, because uh, I know there in Belgium, the... Uh, the response to the uh, coronavirus has been uh, pretty long and hard and it's changed the way things are working. So, um. Thanks, Dave. Um, hi, Mike. 
great to have you on board. Um, well, basically, it's not only Belgium. I think this is a worldwide, you know, impact. And I was wondering if, Max, within your, uh, you know, typical contact for the last couple of weeks with your team, uh, what were maybe the key uh, challenges, the opportunity that you might have seized with your team to uh, that, that we could share maybe with the listeners? What are the key takeaways, you know, the insight that you could share that you have learned during this pandemic time? And, you know, what are the things you made better that you improved? And what are the, you know, the key things we could actually share with the team? Yeah, so I think that this gives all of us an opportunity to, to really walk the walk a little bit. So uh, a couple dimensions on this. Obviously, as a, as a software vendor, we've been um, thinking about how do we help our customers. And so we talked about extending our release. We also talked um, a little bit about industries changing. We've had, we've had some uh, support that we've done for industries that have had a really big acceleration. So in, um, in the case of things like uh, grocery and, and in some cases retail, they've had to do some significant acceleration of hiring to support their needs um, as essential workers. So, so while we, we have a, a big chunk of the population that's kind of a little bit uh, off of their normal game, we have another chunk of our, our customer population that is seeing this huge spike in demand and change that they have to address. Um, the other thing we've done is, you know, launching a Qualtrics survey to help our customers or actually anybody uh, understand what it means for the workforce. Because it, what we found with that is that, unsurprisingly, the majority of the things that became pain points when everybody had to work from home were less about the traditional HR pieces and much more about the life pieces. What about wellness? What about boundaries? What about ergonomics? What about quiet mm -hmm. places to to work or even work schedules that had to shift dramatically to support uh, those of us that have kids at home in school or maybe um, having to do additional things for family members who are ill. And so the the opportunity for the HR function to really have a seat at the table, to be taking charge of this change that's happening, and to position the function as one that has been the thing we've always wanted, right? For mm -hmm. uh, to be strategic in helping to drive the business outcomes. And in a lot of cases, this is about continuity, right? Keeping business going. For us, it's been about serving our customers, both operationally and with the release. Um, but for a lot of our customers, it's also been about um, making hard decisions on furloughs and um, you know, leave policies and thinking about what kind of additional benefits can be brought forward for, for our mental health. And so, again, what we see structurally, strategically, is that it's, it's not one thing. It's really about adaptability. It's about being able to understand better in the moment what's really happening, which is about asking the workforce, what does it mean to you? What do you need? How is it working? Checking in with them. It's about being a responsible human leader. <laughs> Um, whether your job is a manager or a coworker or or an HR leader or a business leader, how do you 
bring forward that sense of empathy and humanity so that people feel supported and protected and capable of doing their work. And then, you know, how do you, how do you use the learnings of this to think about business opportunity? How do you think about adapting, using that creativity that you have to use in this moment because you have no choice? How do you use that creativity to, to think about new opportunities? Your business is changing. Your economy is most definitely changing. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter you sit in the economy, it's definitely going to change. And so how do you use that adaptability and that brain power, that collective brain power to make good decisions? You can't just do what you did last week. It doesn't work that way. You have to be able to understand change. And your ability to do that is dramatically improved when you can get more brain power on it. Yeah, Indeed. that's for sure. Yeah. So I'm quite interested to just see whether there's any uh, anything from the half two release that you uh, might be able to give us a sneak peek on? Yeah, thank you for asking. So uh, there really is some additional stuff coming in in Q2 that uh, I'm sorry, half two. We're already in Q2 that uh, that we're really excited about. So if you remember in our our first half, it's been a lot about this. Uh, UX reimagine investment, and we're about to go to beta with our homepage and uh, a few other reimagined experiences. And so, in the second half, we look forward to bringing those to GA and to having a, a broader reach of reimagined experiences. Because, of course, when we started showing people what is possible and what we're doing, we've had a lot of demands like, we want more, we want to see more. The other thing that we have a theme that uh, we've been investing in, we've done a, a tremendous amount of investment in our recruiting and onboarding capabilities, recognizing that those processes are changing and in some uh, places that's become a, a need for higher volume. So really making it um, a smoother transition for things like evergreen requisitions and high volume capability. It sounds like you're on a great track. I'm excited to see those recruiting and onboarding um, enhancements in H2. That's one of my um, one of my personal um, areas that I am most interested in. So, um, thanks for that little teaser. Um, yeah. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to say that this has been um, a, a really exciting time, again, with the tools of our HXM vision, with the power of Qualtrics to mm -hmm. really understand sentiment and what's happening, and then to be able to invest in our UX Reimagine project to, to really think about breaking down processes and to make them much more about how people work as opposed to how our product silos work. Um, those are all the set of tools that create an opportunity for us that, uh, that we're really excited to see come to life. That's great. I think this experience that we're all um, living through right now is not only going to change forever how we work, but how we hire people. So um, excited to see what you guys can we'll do with that. Um, I wanted to just ask you um, before we wrap up here about Success Connect. So I think, you know, uh, Sapphire was supposed to happen last week. It happened virtually. 
Uh, I think probably everyone is assuming that Success Connect will look much different this year than it did in years past. And I was just wondering, um, and if you don't know anything about this, don't, you know, I'm sorry, but just wondering, like, what are some plans that um, you all are looking at to make, to maximize um, the, the customer experience out of Success Connect? Because it is, you know, it's always a very exciting week. It's customers look forward to it. We all look forward to it, um, meeting with, you know, the product experts at SAP and just learning from other customer presentations. And I think that taking a, a situation like that and, and converting it to a virtual experience, it, it definitely takes away a lot of the excitement. So I was just wondering if there was any um, anything that you could share with us around, I know no official announcement's been made, but just around some things that you guys are thinking about doing to really maximize the impact of Success Connect for customers this year. So thank you so much for asking this because I really agree with you. Obviously, this was going to be my first uh, Sapphire and Success Connect, and I was really looking forward to meeting everyone. So I do feel personally a little bit of the loss of uh, being part of something that's a known thing. I think just like everything else in this pandemic, I also feel that this is an opportunity not to be missed to really question all of our assumptions about conferences, about interactions, and about how we can scale them up. What I do know is that we are going to do a Success Connect Day as part of the Sapphire um, initiative. So I believe that's going to be in June, but you should get the dates from uh, all of the great uh, marketing capabilities that are that are going to be sharing that, the exciting part is, of course, the, that typically in, within Sapphire we we might be a smaller portion, and because this is uh, um, virtual, we can have a much larger audience and a much uh, bigger global presence, and so for that, that will be exciting. And there's going to be a series of both breakouts and customer type things. And I think the ones that people are really interested in are the roadmap sessions. So trying to make sure that we get those properly staffed up. And then to do a follow on similar type of event in the fall for what would be our normal Success Connect. But both are going to be virtual. I know that's for sure. And I think we're going to be experimenting. So we look forward to getting your help in co-creating um, what are hopefully engaging experiences and as well as uh, places that we can maybe even think about going broader and deeper with relationship building with more audience members. Because I know a lot of our customers, maybe only one person from their company can go to these events. And so this is potentially a way to really get the more subject matter experts to the sessions that they would really like to attend at a lower cost for our customers. So that's, that's the hope. We'll see. Uh, again, I still am personally in a little bit of a, of a sad moment of not getting a chance to uh, putting all the faces and names together and uh, getting to build deeper relationships with, with great people like yourselves and customers that um, I haven't yet had a chance to meet. So uh, so yeah, it's gonna be an, an opportunity for learning and growing and doing new things. And I think that's the great mindset that we all need to take into 2020 because uh, we're just not gonna do things the way that we used to, whether we want to or not, so. That's exactly right. Thank you for that, I appreciate mm -hmm. it. 
Meg, we've been full of questions for you. And you know, I wanna be fair and, and give you the chance to shoot some questions back at us if you have some. Um, you know, we've uh, been doing the podcast here for a while and, and we love interacting and, um, you know, so I, I guess, do you have anything you wanna wrap up with or any questions for us or anything that you feel I that do. I do, and thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. Sure. So I'm uh, assuming that I learned the secret handshake off uh, off air after this. Of course. <laughs> an important exactly. uh, part. Like I said, I've been looking forward to breaking into this group for a long time. So uh, I'm really, I'm really grateful that you guys finally let me in on the cool kids table. Um, but We're I, just not going to shake hands anymore. That's We're right. shaking hands anymore, right? Thing, right? <laughs> Yeah, we'll, we'll do some interpretive dance together later. Um, yeah, so I, I guess I, I feel like joining, so just to give you guys a little sense, I, you know, I've been an enterprise software my whole career. I started in ERP back before there was such a thing as a graphical user interface, uh, back when client server was cool. Um, and I got into HR products. I, I was at Saba at the beginning when they IPO'd and then on to PeopleSoft. I spent a good amount of time at Oracle helping to craft their journey to the cloud in the HR business space. And I see this as such a great opportunity to come back. I spent time in between doing, doing other kinds of innovation, customer experience, data science, and cybersecurity. And coming back to the HR discipline, I feel like there's just been no better time. The, the, the market is ready. There, every, you know, we've got a large adoption now of digital in our HR domain. We've got a workforce that is really very digitally savvy and has huge expectations. And then we have a technology plane that is, uh, is really setting us up for more rapid innovation uh, across every dimension. And so I'm curious from your guys' point of view, um, what do you see as it relates to this HXM, the shift of power to the worker? Like, what do you see as the piece that customers are going to get the most value out of the quickest? Mm. That That's a good question. Um, I think it could vary from company to company, but, um, you know, I'll share my my view and then the team can, can chime in too. But I think some of it is uh, going to be determined sort of based on the company culture. I don't know that every company is is ready for this at the same pace. Right, and and Meg, maybe you've you've seen that too. But you know, some companies, um, well, even today with the pandemic, right? Some companies are more comfortable with their employees working remotely than others, and it's so. I think that company culture plays a part in this, and I think that um, you know that's something that we always have to sort of be aware of when we talk about these sorts of solutions with companies. Um, you know, they're not all at the same place. It's just like when you have you know. When you have kids, not every kid is the same. Not everyone is ready to drive at the same time, even though they might feel like it. Um, so I, I think that's something to consider. But I'll let the the rest of the team chime in. So, Becky, what what do you think? Yeah, I think that's a great question. You know, I do a lot of work with um, field service groups, so people who are out perhaps on work sites, either mines or construction properties, um, manufacturing groups. And traditionally, the thing that has always been um, 
you know, something we've had to overcome there is how do we have, you know, employees who don't sit in an office all day um, utilize this new technology? And, mm -hmm. and there's always been this little bit of apprehension that perhaps their, you know, workers in that capacity are not, um, you know, prepared to kind of take on some of this self-service functionality. But you know what? I, I'd say over the past six to 12 months, we've just seen a lot of interest in the mobile application um, because organizations are beginning to realize that everybody has a, a mobile device, you know, for the most part, a smartphone of some sort. And that even though, you know, traditional office workers have laptops, field service employees, manufacturing employees who, who don't have access to uh, co company devices can easily access self-service functionality over the mobile device. So I think that's something that we're going to start to see a lot more interest in. Um, you know, just an easy way to get functionality into people's hands is to use the devices that they've already had. And even groups that are, you know, maybe traditionally underrepresented on the self-service side um, will be able to start embracing, you know, this this technology by, by using devices they're already comfortable with. So I, I predict that we'll start to see a, a lot more um, focus uh, into the mobile, especially by groups that perhaps have shied away from it in the past. Mm -hmm. That's great, Becky. I'll go next. Um, totally agree with everything Steve and Becky said. Um, I, I personally think that, um, to, to Steve's point, you know, not every company is in the same place when it comes to virtual work arrangements. Um, this has forced companies um, into that, those who have been, you know, a little more traditional and tied to brick and mortar situations. And I think that um, everyone who has given lip service to human, you know, employee experience and HX, HXM, um, now it's the time, you know, to be a little blunt, it's put up or shut up, right? And um, it's, it's not just a matter of convenience. Now in some, you know, many cases, it's a matter of health and safety. And I think we're going to see employees as life starts to kind of return um, to, you know, I won't say normal, but, you know, we kind of get back to whatever uh, it's going to be. Employees are going to demand of their companies, um, you know, certain things. Um, we're going to have a lot of parents um, who need to be home because their kids aren't in school, right? And when they're home, they're going to need to help with their kids' schooling. So, you know, I really think that um, companies are going to need to fully embrace the technologies that they already have, but also um, really look to, you know, quickly adopt some other technologies out there. I think Qualtrics is, um, you know, on the precipice of becoming just even more huge than it already is um, for a way to really measure employee pulse. So um, I'm excited for the future. I think that um, this is, you know, kind of the disruption that um, we need for, you know, working in, the, in a new, you know, it's, we're already 20 years into the 21st century. And in a lot of ways, I feel like we're still, you know, in the 20th century when it comes to employees and, you know, how we work. So I'm excited for the, um, the possibilities. And I think that um, the companies that will um, not just survive through this, but thrive through it are those who really will put a focus on uh, what's best for their employees and, um, you know, making them heard and helping them to feel 
valued and, and safe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's the companies that care about that that I think will find an advantage. But honestly, I mean, I've had customers in the past that they don't really care about the end user experience because it's their it's their culture, right? Um, but I think Meg, right. one thing I think their culture is going to have to change if, yeah. if they're going to survive. Exactly, and yeah. I think Meg, you were pointing that out that you know people demand more today. You know, by making this experience with the technical system more frictionless or smoother, um, then you can really focus on the process and and getting what you need from that process. And I think it's a it's a great thing. Um, I got to imagine this it's kind of tough to do, kind of tough to make a system to do that. Yeah, I think I think this is a journey. I think it's a journey for us, both from a technology point of view, but I think as you point out, it's a journey uh, culturally for for companies to recognize mm -hmm. that their workforce is not just a group to do things for them, but they're a, a really strong uh, audience for helping them improve their business and grow their business. Mm -hmm. And I think the adaptability is going to become the thing that makes the difference. So I agree that this is kind of a wake-up call for everyone that uh, that status quo isn't really available anymore and mm -hmm. that change is the norm. So figuring out culturally how you can cope with, adapt to, and thrive in change is going to become that key piece to whether your business is leading or lagging in, in the markets that you serve. Yep. Yeah. It's about being competitive. Well, everyone, thanks for all of this. This was a great conversation. Meg, thanks for joining us and thanks to the podcast team. Um, you know, whenever we do these, I, I learn something and, and Meg, you brought a lot of great information to us and, and to our, our listeners. So we really appreciate that. Thank you. I was so excited to get to join. I'm really looking forward to uh, spending more time with you guys yeah. at some point in the future. All right. Thanks. Can well, we come back anytime. Yes, oh, please come back. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, especially, especially if you're going to call us the cool kids. We really like that. The cool kids. <laughs> yeah, we don't often get called the cool kids. No. No, no. All right. Thanks, everyone.